0: Welcome to the Center for a New American Securities NATSEC Women podcast series. Last year, we started a project on getting new audiences to think and talk about issues of gender, inclusivity, and national security. Schedule an event with gender in the title, and you can guarantee it is 95% women talking to other women in the audience about women's issues. So we tried other ways. Some audiences were receptive. Some weren't. Some were frustrated we were making a big deal out of a topic they thought was closed. Aston answered, move on. But among the women we know, it didn't feel nearly as clear cut. So we're bringing you right to the source. One-on-one candid conversations with women in national security about their careers, their experience, their advice, and their lessons. Here's their stories. I'm Kate Kidder, a fellow with the Military Veterans and Society Program at the Center for New American Security. And I'm here today with Alina Poliakova, who is the David Rubenstein Fellow for Europe at the Brookings Institution in the Brookings Foreign Policy Program. So Alina, will you give us a little bit of background on how you got here today? Well, first of all, thank
1: you so much for having me. This is a really um, important, interesting initiative uh, to have these conversations with our fellow women in in national security. I have a bit of an unusual path, uh, I think, into the policy space um, in Washington. I was an academic. I was trained as a sociologist. I did my doctorate uh, in California at, at Cal at UC Berkeley. And I was very much on the trajectory to becoming a professor. That was, uh, so the only thing you want you do a PhD is if you want to be a professor. That's why I was doing a PhD. And after I finished, I was teaching in Europe. I was in Switzerland at the time. And a few months into my tenure there, The revolution happened in Ukraine, uh, the the so-called Maidan protests that broke out in the fall of 2013. And that was when I realized that I had something else to contribute to the broader conversation on policy, because there were not so many people who had spent time in Ukraine. I'm from there originally. uh, I'd done almost two years of research there on far-right political movements, and I just saw that there was uh, a shortage of expertise, people who knew what they were talking about, uh, having the conversation on, on policy. And that was when I uh, realized I need to be in Washington and need to take a much more uh, applied approach and really think about how some of the research I've done next precise develop could speak to broader policy issues in this really critical part of the world that people suddenly started to care about at that time.
0: So given your experience, why do you feel it's important to have diversity in the foreign policy community?
1: Well, obviously, I think it's a question that many of us think about as as women. Also, I'm sure people of color have also different experiences in this space. This space still tends to be quite dominated, in my experience, uh, by older men. Older men who have come up through a different uh, life experience. Um, There are not that many uh, mentors for women to look up to. So more senior women who can serve that capacity, a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, older men tend to serve to maybe younger men. So the generational gap, I think, is is really crucial and critical. Obviously, it's starting to change now as more women enter the space, but there is still this gap where you don't see a lot of women in you know, their 60s or so uh, who've had you know, 30 to 40 years of experience who are there. But I think the broader reason why diversity is clearly important is that there are many, many studies that have shown that in the business world, more diverse teams uh, are smarter and they're uh, more successful financially. So they do much better than me, the company's more money. And that's just a very clear lesson that I don't think we've picked up in the policy space in a real way. So if, we are, if our product is not uh, making more money for a corporation, if our intention is to have a better policy solutions that are more innovative, um, but think outside the box, Um, so we're not constantly stuck on the same path dependence track, then we need to take those lessons from the private sector. Uh, And we need to have more diversity of views in in the conversation because that is what will push people outside their box. If you have um, all the the, the same uh, voices in the room, you're going to come up with the same solutions. I think that is is why diversity at its core is, is deeply important.
0: So you've spent quite a bit of time working internationally, particularly in Europe. Um, what have been your experiences uh, working with foreign delegations and how does culture affect the dynamic um, for you as a woman in national security? Well, that's an
1: interesting question. Um, I've spent about 40 years living in uh, Western European countries, uh, doing a lot of research in Eastern European countries and there are still uh, cultural divisions, not just between you know, places like Sweden and Ukraine, but also between the United States and those countries as well. And I find that often um, in my capacity here in Washington, D.C., that whether that be at current uh, Colonel at Brookings or my previous role at the Atlantic Council, um, it's, it's often when you walk in the room and you're met with a delegation of 10 to 20 men, uh, they assume you're going to gain them coffee and not uh, s- sitting at the table. And I think that is uh, something you have to overcome because that immediately sets up, um, I would say a barrier to communication, um, especially if um, maybe you look younger, which people tell me I look younger than I actually am. Um, that also sets up, um, I think uh, the burden and you, as know, the person at the table and not the secretary or something of that sort, um, to go the extra step to prove your knowledge and prove your expertise, um, and I don't, don't think that burden is as heavy on on men. And I think for me, that's been my experience that has come out much more obviously with um, you know, foreign delegations, particularly from Uh, places uh, in the post-Soviet space, uh, where there's even fewer women in positions of power power, and gender relations, I think, are still um, in a very different place than they are in the United States.
0: So if there was a question that's asked of women in foreign policy that you wish you never had to hear again, what question would that be? I think this is probably
1: a question that a lot of, uh, well, I hope not a lot of women, but I would assume a lot of women get is, How old are you (laughs) Um, aren't you a little too young for this role or something some variation of that which um i get all the time uh when i tell people you know who i am what i've done they say oh well how old are you why would that why does that matter first of all and second of all like why do i have to tell you Mm -hmm. um and so i think if i never had to hear that question again i would be very very happy (laughs)
0: I think it's interesting that, you know, women worldwide are always trying to be perceived as younger, except for in this city. Um, and and generally it's because it feels as though the question is a question of credibility and it has nothing to do with actual, your actual age. And, and I think it's a question men don't get. Um, so if you were to think back to your younger self entering the field and entering academia, what advice would you give to yourself?
1: Um, you know, I, I think, that's it's not an easy question to answer. In many ways, I, I see my path here as perhaps unconventional, uh, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense to me based on my experience. Um, I think if I had to give advice um, to myself when I was um, starting graduate school and pursuing a doctorate um, in sociology, which again makes me a weird person in Washington because I think most people I meet are um, studying international relations or political science. You know, I think I would have just said, you know, don't. Don't feel constrained and confined by a path you think you're on. There are more options that one can pursue, even if it doesn't seem that way at the time, that the world is much more open than you think. And I think that's not the kind of advice I received often when I was in graduate school. Uh, There was certainly kind of a a view that, you know, there's one path and this is the path you're on. And when I decided to go off that path, uh, there was very little support for it. Except for a few key advisors, so I think looking for those people who will support you in what you want to do, uh, who will be your mentors, and not looking to people who will tell you, "Well, you're on the staff and it's the only one," is valuable. And it took me a while to learn that that you can you also have a choice in who you choose as your unofficial or official mentors. And you know, like I said, unfortunately, this goes back to the bigger question of. I wish that there were more uh, women uh, in senior-level positions that could serve that role uh, for those of us who are in our our mid-career.
0: That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for offering your insights and your perspective, Um, and we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much for having me.